Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the speaking God, that you haven't left us in darkness, that you haven't left us without instruction, but you've given us your word and you've given us Jesus, your son, who speaks and acts your word in history. And we pray this evening as we hear these words of Jesus, that we would rightly listen to them and rightly understand them to your praise and glory. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, tonight we come to the end of this section of Matthew's Gospel that we've been looking at. So uh, from here on in, from next week on, it's, it's Jesus' journey to the cross. He, he's going towards his death. It's, it's the passion narrative, they call it. And that's what we're going to uh, look, up, look at uh, leading up to Christmas. Uh, Christmas. Easter. Not Christmas yet. The years go quick, but not that quick. Whew. Well, got worried there. Uh, but the focus of these, these last few weeks has been on this return of Jesus. Uh, it's been the, the question the disciples asked back in chapter 24. Uh, they asked Jesus, they said to Jesus, what is the sign of your coming? And, and what is the end of the age? And over the last few weeks, what we've been looking at is Jesus' answer to their question. And most of his answer has uh, so far had to do with how the followers of Jesus how the followers of Jesus are to conduct themselves as they wait, as they wait for Jesus to, to come back. And so over and over again, we've been told, if you've been here the last few weeks, be ready. He's coming. Be ready for that day. Be alert because you don't know when Jesus is coming back. could be now or now. Uh, could be in a week, could be in a month, could be in a thousand years' time. So be faithful as you wait. That's been the message so far. Make sure you're found living for Jesus when he returns. Make sure you're found doing your job if you're a follower of Jesus when he returns. And with the parable of uh, the talents that we looked at two weeks ago, we saw that faithful waiting looks like living for God's kingdom in the here and now. It's using all that God has given you. That's the talents. It's everything God's given you. Use all that God's given you for the sake of his glory and his kingdom. And look forward to that day when Jesus returns and he'll say to you those beautiful words. I hope they stirred your hearts when we heard them a couple of weeks ago. But there's words from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. And come and share in your master's joy. And it'll be nothing better. Come and share the kingdom of God, the perfect kingdom for all eternity, with the king. So that's been the focus of the last few weeks. And with this passage today, with the sheep and the goats, the focus, it's still on Jesus' return. But this time, it's not so much about how the follower of Jesus should conduct themselves while they wait for Jesus to come back. It's more to do about what will happen on the day when he does. So when Jesus returns, what will that look like? And what Jesus is teaching here is that on that day, there will be this, this great separation. There will be this great division, one from another. And what will separate one from another will have nothing to do with your race, nothing to do with your gender, nothing to do with your good deeds, nothing to do with your wealth. It won't matter if you're rich or poor, male, female, French, I'm half French, Aussie, doesn't matter. All the things our world might divide and separate over, none of that will matter. All that will matter is what does Jesus think of you? That's what will matter on that last day. That's what will determine whether you're placed on the right of Jesus or on the left of Jesus. 
And so up front, we're, 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 we're dealing with, with big things uh, this evening, cosmic things, eternal things. And so what we'll do is we'll look at what Jesus teaches here first, because we want to make sure we, we get that right. Uh, this is one of those passage, that passages that gets taken out of context and gets wrongly taught. So we've got to think about it rightly. And then I want to spend some time thinking about, well, what does this mean for us today? What, what does this have to do with us now in the 21st century? So point one, make sure you've got your, your outline there. It will be helpful. Point one, and the first thing we learn from this passage is that Jesus is coming to judge. Again, the disciples, they asked a question, what is the sign of your coming? Uh, what, is, uh, what's, what will happen at the end of the age? And Jesus, he tells them, look at verse 31. And make sure you've got your Bible there too. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate them one from another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And so what will happen at the end of the age? Well, the Son of Man will come to judge. That's what will happen. And I know that uh, sometimes people squirm at this idea of Jesus as judge. We don't like to think of Jesus as judge. But if you squirm, can I encourage you, don't. This is a good thing. Uh, It is a good thing for Jesus to come as judge. A judge, assuming they judge rightly, is a very good thing. And it's just, it's logical. If there's no judge, there's no judgment, there's no judgment, there's no justice. And... uh, Weekend sports kicking off again. If you drive around to the fields around the place, you'll see weekend sports happening. And if you go and see some kids playing soccer, what you'll find is the parents on the sideline screaming for justice. You know, their, their son, their daughter has been uh, hard done by by the referee and they call out for justice. That's what we do. It's what the motorist does. If you drive, if you drive on Sydney roads, no doubt someone will get cut off and you'll see someone get cut off and uh, the motorist will gesture outside the window inappropriately. They want justice. It's what we want by nature. It's why we have the law courts and why they exist. See, justice is something we all want. And to have justice, you need a judge. To have justice, you need judgment. But the truth is, with Jesus, Jesus is the perfect judge. See, that day when Jesus comes back to judge, no one will say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you got that wrong. Hey, hey, Jesus, that was unfair. How can you do that? No, no one will say that. No one will object to his judgments. And that's why this scene uh, is so glorious. Look again at verse 31. See, verse 31, how will Jesus come? He'll come in glory. And all the angels will be with him. And what will he sit on? He'll sit on the throne of his glory. There'll be this epic scene. And if all that wasn't enough, those gathered before this judge, they they won't only be those who happen to be caught. Uh, It won't only be those who happen to be sprung in their wrongdoing, like a small child waking up early in the morning when it's dark and going to the cupboard and getting chocolates and unwrapping it, leaving the wrapper under the pillow, and then mum and dad catches them. Not that I'm thinking of any kids in particular. See, it won't be like that. It won't be just those who are sprung. No, no. Jesus says, all the nations will be gathered before him. All the nations will be gathered before Jesus, the perfect judge. Every single person who's ever lived will stand before him. And that's why this is, this is perfect. 
That's why this is glorious judgment, because no one will get away with an injustice. All things, all people will give account once and for all. And as you try to imagine this scene, it's almost impossible to imagine in our minds. Uh, I, I think of those um, 1990s movies. There was a time where like, all these old medieval war scene movies were the, all the rage. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Braveheart before, but if you've seen movies like Braveheart, there's like the armies that just spread across the hillside and as far as the eye can see. I was trying to picture what this scene would look like with all the nations gathered around Jesus uh, as I was kind of staring outside my window at home in my office. And our house is kind of up on a hill so you can see over the, the houses behind us. And just imagine a sea of people. As far as I could see, I can see kind of Botany Bay, I've got water views, but really far from the water. Uh, I can see Botany Bay from my office window. Just thinking there'd be people spread all around. That's what this day will look like. Every single person gathered before Jesus. Currently, 100 billion people who've ever lived gathered before Jesus. See, this is an epic scene. And that is what will happen at the end of this age. The perfect judge will come in perfect judgment to bring perfect justice once and for all. That's the first thing we learn from this passage. But look at what will happen as Jesus comes to judge. We're up to point two now. He will separate one from another. Look again from verse 32. Verse 32. So all the nations will be gathered before him, and he, Jesus, will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And uh, bad luck if you like goats more than sheep. You don't want to be a goat on this day in this scenario. But it's a, it's a simple point, right? When Jesus returns, there will be this great separation, one from another. And again, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, male or female, king or slave. You know, whatever people divide over today, it doesn't matter. You know, labor or liberal, uh, rich or poor, east or west. If you live on the glorious south side of Carlton or the inferior north side of Carlton, see, none of that will matter, not a jot. See, all that will matter on that day is whether or not you're on the right or on the left. And which side you are on will matter massively. Uh, Please hear this from Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 34. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But look at what Jesus says to those on the left, verse 41. Verse 41, Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, it really is a no-brainer. When Jesus comes on that day in glory to judge, you want to be on the right. When that separation happens, you do not want to be one of the goats. You don't want to be on the left. Uh, it reminds me of those uh, school days. You know when the teacher during you know, the sporting class would separate the class into two teams? And it's like the teachers never knew who were the good sports people and who were the horrible ones. So there'd always be one team that had all the good guys and girls in it and the other team that had 
the rubbish people, if I can put it like that. I'm sure they were good at other stuff. They weren't good at sports. And when it came for the teacher to call your name, you were like, please don't put me on the rubbish team. No one wants to be a loser. No one wants to be on the losing team. But, but this is the kingdom of God. See, know the stakes of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, if you're on the right, inherit the kingdom. If you're on the left, that's the place of hell. That's the place of the devil that we're talking about. And both are eternal. See, have a look at what Jesus says in verse 46. Verse 46, the goats on the left, he says, they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous, the sheep on the right, into eternal life. And when you remember that Jesus here is is talking about eternity, that puts things into perspective, doesn't it? Eternity, that's, that's a long time. And again, sometimes people squirm at this idea. And not so much about eternal life and living with Jesus in the new creation forever. People like that. People like the idea of heaven. Uh, most people think they're going there. I'm not that bad. I don't kill people. I don't murder people. I don't steal at least big things like cars. I might download stuff illegally, but hey, I don't steal stuff. See, people like the eternal life bit, the eternal new creation, but people do not like the idea of eternal hell. Uh, sadly, many Christians can't handle that idea. And so some ignore it or, or some deny it. But Jesus, he, he's, he's straight speaking to us. You can't sugarcoat what he's, what he's saying. Jesus is saying hell is real and hell is eternal. We can't just ignore this. And Jesus is straight speaking, not because he's mean, not because he's merciless, not because he's unloving, but actually he wants people to clearly hear the warning. And we've seen this in Matthew's gospel, if you remember. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, what did Jesus say? He said, cut out sin from your life because you're better off to cut out that sin rather than enter into eternal fire. And it's what John the Baptist said right at the beginning of Matthew's gospel. Uh, He says it all the way back in chapter 3 when he speaks about what the Messiah will be and what he'll do. And it's very similar to what Jesus uh, teaches here. But John the Baptist said this, it's up on the screen. He said, Matthew chapter 3, he said about Jesus, his winnowing shovel is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn up with fire that never goes out. And again, we struggle with this image, this idea of God's eternal punishment. But can I, can I push us just to think about this a little bit? And can I give us a, a, a human, a earthly example to help us imagine this a little bit? You see, think of some uh, young man committing some white-collar crime. So a young man uh, basically cheating millions of dollars out of innocent people for the sake of his own gain. And, you know, this young guy, he's enjoying life. He's got millions. He's making a mozza. Uh, He's enjoying his life. He trips to Tahiti when he feels like it. A big house, nice cars. You know, there he is enjoying these gifts of the ignorance of the damage he's causing to others as he rips people off for his own joy. But one day, he gets caught. And uh, at the young age of 30, he stands before the judge. And the verdict's... Uh, given the verdict is announced guilty it's black and white you're guilty for what you've done and in the judge he gives a sentence because of what you've done life life in prison 
And all the good times he's enjoyed in ignorance at the expense of others has now caught up with him. And we would say, his life's now over. His life is one in prison. He would say, my life's over. The judge would say, lifetime of punishment. And now that, that's a horrible picture, but we can imagine that scenario. We, we, can, we, we know that happens. And we can see the justice in that sort of scenario. And yet then, how much more the crimes committed against God? See, how much more when God gives us life and breath and everything else, all that we have is a gift of God. Uh, nothing is outside the provision of God. No one can stand before God and say, hey, God, I did it without you. No, we didn't. Did you choose where you were born? Did you choose what country you are born into? Did you choose what decade you were born in? Did you choose how to make your own body? Did you choose the abilities that you would have and the natural gifts that you would have? Did you choose how to make your own lungs so that you can breathe? Did you choose how to make the anatomy of our bodies work? None of us did. God did. God made us. And yet what do people do? They live in ignorance of God. They live in rebellion before God. They enjoy all the gifts that God gives, life, breath, everything else, and yet rage against him all the while. And when Jesus comes back, he will say, no more. He will say to those people, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire. And of course, uh, that image of of eternal fire is is far worse than, than life in prison in this age. But it's a picture. And the point is, which side you are on, on that day when Jesus returns, matters massively because there will be this great separation. And your eternal life will either be inherit the kingdom or eternal life will be ruined, eternal punishment. But having said all that, what actually is the basis of this judgment? If if Jesus is going to separate one from another, what is the basis of Jesus judging? And uh, in this passage, Jesus doesn't say everything about judgment. He doesn't say everything there is to say about being saved. But the point he does make is very important and I think quite surprising. Uh, So we're up to point three now. But uh, like I said at the beginning, this is one of those passages that gets wrongly taught. Uh, And so we need to make sure we listen carefully to what Jesus is saying. So I'm going to make you do some work. So please make sure you've got your Bible there. Please make sure you tune your minds on. So you have a look at what Jesus says from verse 34. Again, from verse 34. What does he say? Jesus says to those on his right, he says, You come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom. Why? Well, verse 35, Jesus says, For because I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was, a na- I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And when you first read that, it's a bit strange, right? What, what does Jesus mean? When, when was Jesus sick? When, when was he in prison? And that's exactly how the people in this uh, illustration Jesus gives respond. They say, verse 37... So look at verse 37. And the righteous, those on the right, they'll answer Jesus and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? And verse 38, they'll say, when did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and and clothe you? They're just as confused as we are when we read this passage. But it's the answer that Jesus gives next, which is the key. And this is what we must, must hear clearly. Look at verse 40. Verse 40. And the king will answer them, 
I assure you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, or brothers brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In other words, Jesus is saying, whatever you did for my disciples, even the least of my disciples, because that's what Jesus means by these brothers and sisters of mine. He, he's often, in Matthew's gospel, when he calls people his brothers and sisters, he's talking about his disciples, his followers. So Jesus is saying, whatever you did for one of my fellow followers of God, you did for me, Jesus. And that's what matters. And that's what determines whether you're on Jesus' left or Jesus right, how you treat and receive his disciples. That's what matters. And just uh, have a quick look at what Jesus says to those on their left, on his left. Because what's their failure? Look at verse 42. Verse 42, Jesus says to them, I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. Thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. A stranger, and you didn't take me in. And so Jesus says to them, verse 45, I assure you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, these brothers, these disciples of mine, you did not do for me. It's very clear. In both cases, what matters is how a person treats Jesus' disciples. Now, what does Jesus actually mean by that? Treat them how? What what does he actually mean? Because too many people make this passage about helping the needy. Uh, They make this passage about caring and helping the poor and helping the downtrodden. You know, so so the, the, the teaching point they'll say, well, Jesus is saying Christians need to feed the poor and our Christians need to clothe the poor and, and Christians need to help people in prison. And those, don't hear me wrong, those are good things for Christians to do. Uh, we should do those things. Don't mishear me. We should care for the poor around us. Uh, if you know people who are in need, you should help them. That is a Christian godly thing to do. We should do that, but it's not what Jesus is saying here. And I hope you can see the problem if we think that that's what Jesus is saying. If Jesus is saying how you treat the poor and how you care for those in prison and how you clothe the poor, that determines whether you inherit the kingdom or not. I hope you can see the problem there. Because we know that we are saved not by what we do. We know we are saved purely by what Jesus has done for us. Praise God, because otherwise we have no chance. See, he's not talking about how we treat the poor here. So what does Jesus mean? What does he mean by saying, whatever you did for these brothers, these disciples of mine, you did for me? Well, the answer is in Matthew's gospel. Uh, flick back to Matthew chapter 10. Make sure you flick back. It's, it's not going to come up on the screen. I want us to do the work. <coughs> flick back to Matthew chapter 10 and uh, look from verse 10. Because I want to remind you of what Jesus said when he first sent out his disciples And remember, all that I'm about to say now is about what Jesus says to his disciples as he sends them out with the message of the kingdom. Because what does Jesus say to them? Verse 10, Jesus says, Don't take a traveling bag for the road, or an extra shirt, or sandals, or a walking stick, for the worker is worthy of his food. And when you enter any town or village, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. Greet a household when you enter it, And if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it's unworthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you, you disciples, or listen to your words, 
Shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or that town. And then go down to verse 17. We can't read all of chapter 10. Go down to verse 17. What else does he say to his disciples? Jesus says, people will hand you disciples over to the Sanhedrin, that's a court, and flog you in their synagogues. Beware of them. And you'll even be brought before governors and kings, again, the courts, because of me, Jesus, to bear witness to them and to the nations. And finally, look from verse 40. Go down to verse 40. Verse 40, Jesus says again to his disciples, verse 40, the one who welcomes you disciples welcomes me. And the one who welcomes me welcomes him, God the Father, who sent me. In verse 42, and whoever gives just a cup of cold water to one of these, the same words there as Matthew 25, to one of these little ones, because he's a disciple, I assure you, he will never lose his reward. And so hopefully you see, how did Jesus' disciples go out with the message of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 10? They went out with no food, no water, no extra clothing, no houses to stay in. And what did Jesus say to them? He said to them, well, you'll be flogged, you'll be beaten, you'll stand before governors, you'll be thrown in prison. And so what did the disciples, as they went out with the message of the kingdom, need as they went out with that message? They needed people to receive them. They needed people to feed them. They needed people to clothe them. As strangers, they needed people to welcome them. All the things that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25. And in both Matthew chapter 10 and chapter 25, Jesus says, whoever welcomes these disciples of mine, they're actually welcoming me. And whatever a person does for these disciples, these brothers of mine, they're actually doing it for me. Why? Because to receive the messenger, the disciple of Jesus, who has the message of the kingdom and of the gospel, is to receive Jesus. You see, some people think chapter 25 is about the need for Christians to care for the world, but actually it's the opposite that Jesus is teaching. Uh, Remember, who's, who's before Jesus in Matthew 25? It's all the nations that stand before him. They're all gathered before Jesus. It's the whole world that stands before Jesus. And Jesus says to them, to the world, and he'll say this to us on that last day, Jesus says to every single person who ever lived, what matters is how you treated my disciples. Did you receive my messenger? Did you receive their message about the kingdom? And therefore, did you receive me, Jesus? Really, what Jesus is teaching is quite simple. It's where we'll get to uh, when we get to the end of Matthew's gospel. Jesus will send out in Matthew 28 the disciples into all the nations to do what? To be received with their message to make disciples of all nations. And what those people do with the disciples and their message determines really what they do with Jesus, accepting him or rejecting him. Either they'll accept and Jesus will say to them, come you who are blessed by 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 my father, inherit the kingdom, Or they reject the message about Jesus and Jesus will say, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. See, that's what Jesus is teaching us here. So let me finish with three uh, simple and quick points as we finish up. What does this mean for us today? Well, firstly, I hope you see you want to be on the right. You want to be on the right of Jesus. You don't want to be the goat. 
And the vast majority of us, we will find ourselves on the right on that last day before Jesus because we've received the message. We've, we've accepted Jesus and the message about him. And praise God if that is you. Please don't be complacent about Jesus' words here when he says, inherit the kingdom. Whatever you get excited about in this life, inherit the kingdom. That will be the best thing ever. Jesus is saying at that point, inherit all that's good. Inherit perfect relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ forever. Inherit living with God and actually seeing Jesus face to face for all eternity. He's saying inherit that place where there will be no more sickness. I had COVID three weeks ago. It sucked. I want no more sickness. Where, where, where Jesus will say there'll be, there'll be no more floods. No more war. I hope you've been uh, praying for Ukraine as you read about the things that are happening there and hear testimonies, uh, even from Christians and what it's like to be in Ukraine at the moment. I hope you're praying. It makes us cry, come Lord Jesus, come. And Jesus says on that day, on the right, the people on his right inherit the kingdom. No more of that. You want to be on the right. Which leads to my second point. You do not want to be on Jesus' left. See, when Jesus returns, and be assured he will, uh, the New Testament says about 300 times it talks about Jesus' return. If you read your Bible this week and it's New Testament, you'll probably hear about Jesus' return. He's coming back. Be assured. And when he does, it'll be oh so glorious for us on the right and oh so horrible for those on his left. And it really is the epitome of foolishness to go on rejecting Jesus. I don't know if you come across people like this, you know, people who, they just laugh about God. They just think it's stupid. You know, they think, you know, you're, you follow Jesus, you, you're, you're gullible. You're a moron for believing that. People joke about hell. Yeah, all my friends will be in hell, it'll be great. All the, all the bad things I like doing, they'll be in hell, it'll be great. No, it won't. There's nothing good in hell. There's no friendship in hell. See, that day when Jesus gathers all the nations before him and separates one from another, on that day when that happens, there won't be any sarcasm. There won't be anyone joking. There won't be anyone ridiculing anymore. People won't laugh at the idea of hell and eternal fire and, and punishment with the devil and his angels. You see, how horrible it will be for those on the left when Jesus, who came to save them, then returns as the judge to condemn them. That will be horrible. If you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please hear Jesus' words. Please hear his warning because he loves you. Receive the message. Receive Jesus. Don't be found on his left on that day. But finally, point three, be willing to be received. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, be willing to act like a disciple and take the message of Jesus to people. Because what Jesus teaches here, he assumes that what the disciples of Jesus do is put themselves in a position to be received. Put themselves amongst the nations, well, like Peter and, and Terry Blouse have done in Argentina. Put themselves, and all the nations is all the earth, put themselves amongst others with the message of the gospel. And that's the way God has ordered things to work. God uses us, his people, to grow his kingdom, to, to make more disciples. That's the normal, everyday, extraordinary way that God has ordered things. And just to get you to see this, uh, use yourself as an example. 
You see, and answer this uh, question in your mind. It's not a rhetorical question, but it's not an out loud question. Answer in your mind. How did you hear about Jesus? Maybe somebody here had a vision. Maybe somebody here had a miraculous word. If you did, tell me. God can work in those ways, but ordinarily he doesn't. See, I suspect for you, you heard about Jesus maybe from your parents. Uh, Or maybe it was from a family member. Or maybe it was from a work colleague or someone at uni. For me, it was a friend, someone in high school who said, hey, come to youth, and he told me about Jesus. For my wife, Emily, exactly the same. A friend of hers said, hey, come to youth, and told her about Jesus. See, how did you hear about Jesus? Somebody told you. And so an implication of what Jesus says here is that we as disciples of Jesus should be in the business of making disciples of Jesus, of being that parent who takes the time to teach their kids about Jesus, of being that friend who God uses to to convert someone's heart, of being that work colleague who, even though it's politically incorrect to talk about Jesus in a workplace, gets their boldness up because of their love for Jesus and love for others and talks about Jesus. See, part of what we learn here is that we need to be willing to be received as disciples of Jesus with the message about Jesus. And if you get rejected, don't be surprised. Jesus says here, some will reject his disciples. And if you are received, well then praise God. Again, I don't know what kind of excites you in your life and what, you know, brings you joy, but there is nothing better than God using you to share the message of the gospel with someone and then that person becomes a Christian. Because that person for all eternity is no longer on the left. They will here inherit the kingdom. They will be with you for all eternity, praising Jesus. There is nothing better. And so what is the sign of Jesus coming in the end of the age? Well, Jesus says, I will come in all glory to judge, and I'll separate one from the other. And on that day, you want to be on the right. And you want to hear Jesus say to you, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom. And I pray that we will all hear those words of Jesus spoken on that last day to us. Amen.